This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash adventures in Angular. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another Adventures in Angular show. This week on our panel, we have Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. Ward Bell. That's the curmudgeon Ward Bell to you, according to Joe. No, he looked it up. It was curmudgeon Lee. Get it I right know, but I like, his, I like curmudgeon-y. Don't be a curmudgeon about being curmudgeonly. Okay. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week we have a special guest, that's Zach Chapel. Hey, everybody. Do you want to give us a brief introduction to who you are, what you do? Yeah, um, my name is Zach Chapel. I'm actually a software architect at Career Builder and the founder and the main organizer for NG Atlanta. Awesome. And we also have Kim Maida, who will be joining us a little bit later. We are making her install Skype as we speak, and we decided to just kick things off and get things warmed up before uh, she, she uh, is, you know, whenever she gets here, she gets here. So uh, looking forward to that. Um, Zach, you mentioned NG Atlanta, and I, I know that NG Atlanta is something that people are talking about these days, and it dovetails into more of our topic as far as diversity all of these all of these terms are so loaded with you know people having feelings about them that i i kind of hesitate to use any of them but um let let's just start there let's start with ng atlanta and you you sent us your uh, ng atlanta origin story do you want to just explain where that came from and 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 what the inspiration there is and then we can kind of uh, move into the other topics from there yeah um so do you kind of want me to walk through the origin story a little bit yeah well, wait awesome. a minute. Why don't you tell them what NG Atlanta is? And let's make sure oh, yeah. Yeah. that we get that point across. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So um, NG Atlanta is a two-day workshop, two-day single-track conference in uh, the, a suburb of Atlanta called Alpharetta in a brand-new conference venue. It's a conference focused on diversity, inclusion, and Angular. Um, there's a little bit of mix from topics that surround Angular. So um, uh, technologies that are related to Angular. Our goal was kind of to present a um, holistic viewpoint for our attendees. So so on this podcast today, we've got four old white guys ready to tell you all about uh, a diversity conference. And and (laughs) that's really I I think that's really good because, you know, we just never get a chance to speak, do we? Oh, goodness. All right. We are self-aware of this one. We hope Kim comes to rescue us soon. Yes. Um, well, it's also interesting, too, because even though, I mean, like you said, we are, we are four white guys, but like you look at kind of being able to leverage um, like where we are in technology. So I, as an architect and as someone who spoke at NGConf, I have some very unique opportunities and connections I've made because of that. And that actually made organizing this conference a lot easier. Um, so I was able to reach out to speakers who I've seen 
and uh, le leverage a little bit of my experience to help build the conference. So I wouldn't completely discount um, like our experiences, but at the same time, we, we should be able to leverage that uh, to help people who are underrepresented in our, in our industry. I'm going to bite my tongue and ask you about uh, NG Atlanta here for a minute so that we can get some context about what you're doing. Yeah. And, and then we can dive in, hopefully, with Kim here to talk a little bit more about, you know, what people experience as part of our community. Okay. That'd be awesome. What would you like me to share about NG Atlanta? Kind of the origin? Yeah. Why don't you start with the origin story, and then you can talk a little bit more about um, exactly what you're trying to do to promote diversity and things like that. Okay. Yeah. So... Um, it's actually kind of an interesting story because um, part of it that I didn't include in the origin story was a conversation that kind of got this um, diversity even uh, more on my brain. And that was a conversation with my boss at CareerBuilder, and he was sharing a story about how his eight-year-old daughter had come home from school and said she didn't want to be a scientist anymore. She had always talked about being a scientist. And um, he, when he asked her why... She said uh, that girls can't be scientists. And, you know, obviously we were both kind of puzzled about that. And then he shared why uh, she thought that. Apparently one of the boys in her school had told her, you know, at eight years old, that girls can't be scientists. And, and he and I were both kind of upset about that and uh, for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. And it was actually the next week that I was going on vacation with my family. And we went to Savannah, Georgia, and we were driving back. And, you know, my wife's sleeping. She was pregnant at the time. And. My two boys and my daughter are sleeping in the back, and I, I was just sitting there thinking about you know what that conversation, thinking about how um, I've been an open evangelist for women in technology. My teams, uh, particularly my team at ADP, I had a team of eight, five of them were women in technology, um, and I, I always tried to be a public advocate and also you know behind the scenes advocating for um, you know people on my team and and you know starting WIT programs and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, that's an incredibly small sphere of influence. And I, I tried to think about what I could do that was outside of me and the direct company I work at. And I thought, you know, what about if I tried to organize a conference and try to get at least 50 percent of the speakers to be women in technology? Um, and being someone who loves Angular, I wanted it to be an Angular conference. Um, and I thought, you know, that would be really hard. I've never seen anyone get even close to that. And so, you know, the five-hour drive. I just sat there thinking about that. And and by the time I got home, I convinced myself that, yes, this is a challenge I want to take on. And I said, okay, I'm going to pull the trigger on it. So I started messaging um, speakers that I knew uh, who were women in technology. I said, hey, I have this idea. I want to run this conference. You know, would you like to be a speaker at this conference? And, you know, I told them my goal is to get at least 50%. And my initial thoughts were just a tiny conference, single day, just keep it simple. Um, and you know, within three days, I was at 85% of that day filled up with, with, uh, female speakers. And I'm like, well, that was too easy. Um, let's make it harder. So I expanded the conference to two days. Um, and I, uh, added two days of workshops and I decided to, okay, let's just go full on with this. And, um, so we're sitting right now at like 65% cause you know, life happens and you have some speaker attrition. Um, but yeah, so now we're at 60%. And then I started thinking about, well, okay, well, what else can we do um, to influence the software industry? So I'm like, well, what if I try to get 50% of my attendees to be women in technology? Um, and that's where we started like our diversity scholarship program, which a lot of those scholarships are going to um, WIT and, and GDI 
Uh, we started our student scholarship program. Um, we also started a veteran scholarship program. So if you think about um, underrepresented folks in technology, veterans are also an underrepresented group. So if you think about that, uh, helping them is also incredibly important. Um, so we, we just started to let this snowball. And um, it's been really interesting because the community's picked up on it. And there's been a lot of, um, you know, messed up things that have happened in our community as with a, a, a lot of communities. And I think people, um, at least some of the people I've talked to, look at NG Atlanta and say, you know, there's a lot of conferences that don't have, uh, a, you know, any female speakers, you know, that they try to do it. And then a lot of organizers will be like, well, yeah, I tried and there was there's no women out there. And it's like, well, there really is if you if you're at least somewhat intentional with trying to find people. And the thing is, you don't have to sacrifice content. You don't have to sacrifice the quality of your conference. Um, you just you know, do a little legwork. Um, and it, it's been a really fun adventure. Um, but the other thing that we tried to do, and excuse me if I ramble a little bit, it's kind of hard to get it all in my brain at once. Um, the other thing we try to do is to present an entire picture of the ecosystem it is we work at, right? So if you look at um, a lot of conferences focus very specifically on a given technology. Um, some conferences do a better job by spreading it out to surrounding technologies. But what we try to do is to look at um, the developer as a whole and say, okay, yes, I know about Angular. Yes, I know about Webpack. Yes, I know about NativeScript. Um, but what do you know about like emotional intelligence, right? How do you interact with your teammates better? How do you become um, a better in the community as a whole? And that's where that whole idea of um, building the holistic picture of the development environment came into play. Um, and it really kind of drives down to the um, the model for the Angular team, right? You know, you can sit with us. You know, that's not just a, a slogan for the team. It's something that we should embody in our community. And, and that requires more than just raw code skills. Yeah, I, I really like the idea of just, you know, the holistic approach where you're focused on not just the technical skills, which I think a lot of con uh, conferences do because it's easy, right? It's, it, it either works or it doesn't. And so it's, you know, it's here's how you do a hard thing in tech. And look, it works. Um, you know, focusing on community, focusing on uh, these holistic interpersonal skills and, you know, having uh, conversations about it, I, I think really, you know, it really helps. And um, one uh, conference talk that, uh, that stands out to me just along these lines, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Greg Bogus. He's a, a developer evangelist for Twilio, but uh, a number of years ago he gave a talk about depression. And initially, when I heard the talk, I was like, give me a break, right? You know, this is a Ruby conference. This is not a, uh, a feel-good conference. But as I thought about it, I was like, you know what? Uh, people actually feel this. And some of it is tied to what they do and who they are. And so if we can work around that, it, it just seems like a really positive thing to focus on because it's, it's, hey, look, we're developers, but we're also humans. And here's how we deal with human stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and also, as a side note, just to kind of, um, I guess, a testimonial to this kind of content, um, we had Greg on Ruby Rogues not too long after that. And um, about two or three years later, I ran into somebody who uh, basically thanked me publicly for having him on the show. I mean, I didn't do anything right. He was a guest on the show. So I was there for an hour. 
And um, he, th- this other developer basically said, I listened to that show and realized I needed help. You know, and so again, if we're having these conversations and saying, look, um, here's a healthy way to figure out what you're dealing with, you know, it, it, it makes a difference to people. That's true. Yeah, I think that's one um, one of the talks that NG Atlanta uh, will hopefully help with that too, because we have one on compassionate coding. Um, there's there's one of the speakers. Her name's April Wenzel. Um, I think that talk will really help um, with that topic. Yep. So uh, we just looped Kim in. Hi, Kim. Hello. Can you hear me? Yep. Awesome. Well, Great. Welcome. So, Thank you. So I'm I'm going to ask some. I think they're leading questions, but they're also some of the harder questions. And, uh, you know, anybody feel free to chime in. But one of the things that I see, you know, you talked about having 50% of the speakers be women or 50% of the attendees be women. And, I mean, the industry as a whole, I hear numbers between anywhere between like 10 and 25% of the industry is, you know, is women and that the rest are men. You know, and and I haven't heard any good numbers as far as any type of minority, racial minority or otherwise, um, other kinds of minorities. There are other kinds of minorities. And I don't want to leave anybody out. But at the same time, I mean, if if you hit sort of the industry distribution of people, I mean, why why is that not good enough? I and I've I've heard this argument before, right? So if if the industry is between uh seventy five and ninety percent men then what's wrong with a conference that has 75 to 90% men as speakers or attendees? Well, if I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know that it's fair to put the burden of, the, of an answer and a question on on Kim exactly. No, but no. Uh, I, I'm asking in general because I've heard it. I have my own thoughts on it, but I don't want to like taint the conversation completely with my crazy thoughts, right? I mean, if, if, a, if, a, if a conference is going to take this, this task on, uh, than being than representing the population, our our terrible numbers in our industry, um, isn't going to it, it you know isn't isn't itself a goal. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, the goal is to try and create um, an overwhelming sense that there is an opportunity here, um, that there's capability here, and um, and to, and to drive that. And that's one reason I would like to see to be at a conference that had a, a you know, didn't have the numbers that we have today, but had the numbers uh, that are more like what we would hope to see in our industry mm-hmm. talking with us. So we could imagine, better imagine what the world might be like if we were operating on all cylinders instead of with, you know, the way we are today. That, that would be my instinct. So I would definitely agree with that. And then I think I would also add that, to be honest, I don't think that a lot of tech conferences are actually representing um, the industry statistics as a whole. Um, basically, because when, when I go to work, um, you know, I may know a lot more female developers, may work with a lot more minorities. And then when I go to a conference, it... Mm-hmm. It's not not actually directly correlated in numbers um, as far as representation at conferences. And I think part of that is is just um, 
a lot of people won't necessarily go if they feel like everybody who's speaking at that conference, everybody who's attending that conference is um, going to be a certain demographic that they're not. So I do think it's very important to have conferences where we do have a lot of, you know, speakers and minorities on and, you know, other genders um, represent the thing that people are interested in so that all types of people will want to go and attend. Mm-hmm. And it's actually kind of interesting um, because it's kind of what, what Ward and Kim were both saying is is that um, we're taking there, there's a whole conversation of is it a pipeline problem or is it a, is it a retention problem? And I think you know when people have asked me how do I get so many women in technology on my team, um, it's usually you know once once you have one or two women on your team and you've created a a uh, safe environment, a welcoming environment, and somewhere that they don't feel uh, lambasted every day. Um, it's really easy to grow that team, and and with with the the conference by having a really high percentage of women speakers, um, and by having a really high percentage of women in, in the audience, we could say, you know what, this industry is welcoming to you. We are trying to change things. Um, you know. Can, Go ahead, come out to this industry, stay in this industry. We want you to be part of this conversation. We want you to contribute. Um, you know, that in and of itself can help to change that overall demographic. At, at least that that's my hope as as an organizer, is that, you know, by showing people that this is possible, other conferences will want to step up, other um, you know, organizations will want to step up, and other developers, particularly, you know, people that look like me will want to have other voices at the table and say, you know what, that was a fantastic idea. You know, how do I become a part of that? So I think it's interesting. Um, and, and I think there's a larger, I guess, idea behind this, where part of it is, you know what, we want people that I guess look like the attendees that we want or look like the people we want to feel welcome in the community. Um <sighs> Uh, are there other things that we're doing in our conferences that also make them feel welcome or and and the other thing I guess there is with that and and I know I'm I'm trying not to be antagonist or sound antagonistic because I I'm mostly just interested but um you know with that you know is is that kind of the first thing that people look at when they go look at a conference website or are there other things that give them some kind of indication that you know what I'm going to come and have the experience that I want to have in other words, is it the speaker list or is there more to it than that? I definitely think that there's more to it. Um, I've been to several tech conferences and I've seen sort of the, the types of demographics and um, obviously I've been to tech conferences where there are maybe 5% women in attendance and I still have a great time. Um, I learn a lot. I network a lot. I talk to a lot of people. Um, and I think there's a sense of camaraderie at conferences that just stems from being interested in the same types of things that you get from the attendees and then the the speaker list, of course. Um, and in the past, you know, as a minority, uh, I've sort of felt like um, it's awesome when there are, you know, women or minorities on stage. And that makes me feel especially welcome. And it makes me feel um, sort of, more close to the people who are representing at, at the conference as speakers. Um, but it hasn't, a lack of that hasn't deterred me personally from attending conferences because it is all about the people. 
Um, so I think I kind of derailed myself here, <laughs> but, um, I guess I just wanted to say that, uh, there's definitely attraction at these conferences that, that comes from just, um, being interested in the same things and being exposed to more of a community that does the same thing that you do. And, um, in general tech conferences have been very welcoming. So it's, it's especially awesome to me to see one that does have a focus um, on diversity and having, you know, a, a diverse panel of speakers. Um, so that's very exciting to me. And then you add that with the sort of general, we're all interested in the same thing. We all came here to learn. Um, we want to learn from each other and teach each other. Hey, Kim, can you tell us a little bit about your road to this conference, how you became part of it and um, what your hopes are for it? Um, sure. Well, I've been going to NGConf for a while now. I've been to three NGConfs, so I think I was only missing one. Um, and then before that, I would go to AEA, which actually has a much higher sort of diversity rate uh, because there's more of a focus on like content and design in that one, as well as like framework technology and, and uh, programming. Um, and basically, I had just come from Angular Connect uh, very recently in London this year, and I met a lot of community participants, um, including a few women who were speaking at NGOlanta, and that got me very interested in NGOlanta, and I sort of started looking more into it, and I was like, I wonder, you know, if there's a way I can be involved in this, um, and it's it sort of just went from there. I was I was very excited to see people that I met who I have tremendous respect for um, in the community who you know were were going to speak at this conference as well and I I just sort of followed suit I guess. Sure. Yeah, I have to say I'm looking forward to it just to, to as, as a vision, you know, of what it would be what it would be like um, to be in a conference that looked like the popul looked like the population I would want to be part of. <laughs> uh, well, and I can't, I imagine I can't be the only person, um, to feel that way. Uh, but I, cause you know, all of us who have been to conferences for uh, males anyway, who've been to conferences for a long time, have long for years talked about how it just, our conferences just don't look like the worlds we live in and, and breathe in every day. And they feel wildly distorted. And, um, and that, you know, oddly enough, some of us feel uncomfortable about that. And so it, it's going to be, uh, just personally, um, it's going to be a, a rich experience to be in, surrounded by people who, um, you know, in a way that is the way I want to see it. Uh, I'm kind of curious, Ward, and just to, to kind of pick on that a little bit. Um, you know, what, what is it about that world that, that you kind of envision as being different? I mean, you know, besides just walking through and feeling like, oh, you know, I generally see as many people of diverse background as I see walking through Walmart. Is there more to it than that? In, in well, sure, because I'm having tech conversations with all these people. Okay. Right. 
this is not like, oh, I, you know, aren't the colors pretty? I can, it makes a lovely photograph. This is an opportunity to have the kinds of serious tech you know, co uh, conversations, which, by the way, my serious conversations are full of laughs and jokes and giggles mm -hmm. and all that stuff. I consider giggling along with the technology to be part of why I'm still after all these years doing anything with tech and um but i want to have you know i expect to have that um you know serious conversations you know and we've all as we've talked about here hallway conversations are a big part of why i go to conference and i'm expecting to have all of that and i'm expecting to see a range of ages and uh, uh and concerns and opportunities to collab both collaborate and encourage uh, and that's, that's, that's what I'm looking for. Uh, it's yeah. a really fun too, because it kind of reminds me of home. I mean, I grew up in Minneapolis and my high school is 26% white. So having an incredibly diverse set of speakers, it just feels at, at home for me. And it's it, the amount of, uh, different problems that people experience, different backgrounds, different, you know, everything about people. Uh, having that perspective is incredibly valuable, even when you're talking about the exact same technology or the, um, you know, exact same, you know, framework. I mean, the way we approach things, you know, gender, ethnicity, you know, religion, all of those things. I mean, heck, even diet, you know, we, we have um, vegans and vegetarians coming to the conference, too. They approach things, you know, sometimes differently, too, if it's a certain type of problem. Right. You know, a grocery shopping uh, app may be completely different for someone who's vegan than it is for someone who is an omnivore, right? So, you know, just those different perspectives are incredibly valuable. Well, and just to add on to that, and this is the thing, like when people ask me about diversity and they start talking about what's fair, my brain kind of turns off, I'll be honest. But when they start talking about this diversity of experience, right, where, you know, women go through different things than men, um, you know, people who grew up in different places and in different backgrounds with different religions go through different things and they approach problems differently. And, you know, Zach, you mentioned earlier in the show that, you know, we're all whole entire people. We're not just programmers. And so that informs the entire experience that people have. I mean, that that's that's why this matters, at least to me, is that it enhances my experience and and makes me stretch and grow in ways that I never would if I was just talking to a whole bunch of other people that are just like me. So are we making any sense here, Kim? Or are we, what are we missing? I kind of dropped it in the middle of this. So yeah. <laughs> that's just sort of catching up. Well, I think, I think it's a really unique opportunity because um, we can kind of see what, where the, the industry is through people's reactions. Um, I, and just to kind of let you guys know a little bit of background, like I've been, I, I'm at the, I, I added a bunch of people who had Angular in their LinkedIn profile and directly messaged them about the conference. And the vast majority, so I've messaged close to a thousand people so far, and almost everyone has given very positive impact, uh, very positive uh, reactions to the conference or the content or the speakers. Um, but there's been a couple people in particular who are like, you know, I, I have absolutely no interest in that conference. And one one guy in particular uh, said, I, I, I followed up with a question. I was like, so what about the conference did not interest you? Um, and he said the word diversity. And 
I had to pause for a second. Like, are you trolling me or are you serious? Um, and I just replied, you know, thank you for your feedback. Um, but you know, it made me think like there really is people just seeing that word turns them off, but I, I don't know how to get across to them that the, there's an incredible value, um, in this and, and helping people to understand that that that's kind of where my struggle is. And I, I don't know the answer to that yet. So I've talked to a lot of people and some people have expressed the same thing to me. Usually when I start digging into this with folks, um, so some people feel like, you know, diversity, it's a great thing. They see a lot of benefits from it. You know, they, they feel like they're helping people. And, and, you know, all of those are very positive things. The people that have negative experiences, they usually feel like it's been used as a bludgeon to make them feel bad about who they are. And I think that comes from uh, a misunderstanding of what the diversity movement is about and from some people who sometimes get a little bit overzealous. But I also think there's a cultural factor to it where people, you know, they, they come up in particular with particular backgrounds where, you know, the, the diversity thing has been talked about in a specific way. And so no matter how you present it, it's just going to come across as, well, you know, you're in the majority, so there's something wrong with you. And I don't feel like that's really what diversity has been about at all. And I know I've had to fight this within myself some. But at the same time, you know, I, I can definitely see where some people look at it. And due to all of these factors coming in, they take it as a negative experience that they'd have if they came, as opposed to a positive opportunity to grow and get to know some different kinds of people. I think um, diversity can be sort of polarizing because um, it, it attracts some types of people, right? And it repels others, especially, um, I'm involved with a lot of the hiring that we do at my company and, um, we have, we're, we're trying to sort of include more people from backgrounds, um, more, more genders. We're, um, looking to get a diversity inclusion program started. And, um, so when you go out and sort of look at the landscape and see people's experiences, like other hiring managers, other companies, just people, you know, on the ground, um, to see what their sort of reaction is to, to things like that is a lot of times people will sort of think that you're pushing an agenda. Um, like they'll say, well, if you have, you know, two equally qualified candidates, you, you know, shouldn't, give any preference to one or the other we do should continue you know sort of digging deeper and finding out who's who's straight up just like the better candidate regardless of any sort of diversity initiatives um and i think so people who have a perspective of sort of feeling like they might actually be excluded by a diversity initiative um you know might see that word and, and then think Oh well, am I less welcome? Sort of, mm -hmm. you know what you what you were saying. Um, is this in some way going to exclude me? Uh, when actually, you know, technically, you would hope that diversity means everybody, right? Not just minorities, not just women, you know, not not just other genders, uh, other religions. It would be, you know, everybody in the world is included. And I think that's where people sort of start to feel excluded when when we're hoping they shouldn't mm -hmm. do you run your own freelance business or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side well then you need fresh books fresh books is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients it's easy to use it works anywhere 
available from any device uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. But it would, you know, be, be my hope that, that someday you could sort of remove the word diversity from the conference and it would still be the same conference and, and still attract like everybody. And, um, you know, you could maintain the same amount of diversity without having to say it's the diversity conference. Um, so I'm hoping yep, there's that a, there's a couple of things about what you said. I'd like to, uh, chat about first off, uh, yeah, I think it's interesting when people say, hey, if you got two equal candidates, right, and you prefer one over the other because of one reason, say, oh, you got two equal candidates, we're going to choose either the women or, woman or the uh, uh, the person who isn't Caucasian, right? Yep. Well, first, for, for one thing, the idea that two people are ever truly equal is pretty <laughs> ridiculous, I unless your only heuristic is uh, a score on a test, right? Well, we got two people that scored 90 on this test, and so now let's pick the one who... Uh, is you know a non-white dude i guess right so other than that that's a pretty ridiculous statement being a conference organizer and constantly being faced with a decision like this the other thing that's silly is because let's say when you're choosing talks for a conference there's no way that you can truly know who's going to give the best talk right the it's like hiring people when you choose talks it's you're using a weird your own chosen heuristic for deciding who's going to speak at a conference. So it might be that they write the best-looking presentation by what, what words they use. That has nothing to do with their presentation skills. You might look at presentations that they've given. Well, so, because somebody's given a good presentation in the past does not guarantee they're going to give good ones in the future. I've given terrible presentations and talks after I've given great ones. So that's also not a guarantee. You still have to choose some heuristic to choose things. So... Um, you're still making a guess as to who's going to give a great talk. That's just a truth and reality of being a, a conference organizer. So uh, I think that some of those some of those things are a little bit interesting to say. Well, if you got two equal candidates, you shouldn't be choosing or excluding. But I also think what you you said something about you know diversity being inclusive of everybody. I don't think that it's a particularly uh, what's the word I'm I'm trying to look for here like. I know that nobody's trying to find more white dudes to show up to their conference, right? <laughs> right. True. I mean, that's not that's not true. That's not going to happen. And we could say, hey, you know, obviously white men are going to be welcome, but that's they're going to be the majority likely of of a tech conference anyway. You don't have to try to get them to come. It's the, everybody else you actually have to try. So if somebody feels put out that you're not trying, to, if I'm not, if you're not trying to get me to come, you're not working extra to get me to show up to your conference. Well, I'm sorry, but you're going to show up anyway. You're easy to find. It's harder to find everybody else. It's harder to find uh, people that are of color or uh, women 
and get them to come out because uh, even though the numbers are somewhere between 10 and 25 percent, when you look at some of the numbers for, say, uh, things like front-end developers, like people who are employed as full-time front-end developers, the numbers are actually below 10%. At least most of the numbers that I see are actually below 10%. So it's hard to find uh, those people and, and get and reach them. It's just very difficult. So you so got to work. You made it, I think you made an interesting point because you talked about looking at the abstracts, looking at the talks. Um, and I think part of that also comes down to, um, you know, I kind of I- introspectively, right, as I selected speakers, there's also kind of that that unconscious bias too of people whose speech patterns match yours, um, people who write in a similar pattern to yours. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's the other thing that I have to try and keep keep aware of, um, because I'll naturally gravitate people from the northern United States who write and speak like I do, um, and you know, regardless of of ethnicity or gender. But like even like that level of, of bias is and it's not necessarily malicious bias. Right. But it's like those people write like I do. It's easy to understand. Um, so I may get what they're trying to get across a lot easier. Um, whereas someone from like uh, Israel or Denmark or or China, like I may I may struggle with China. I don't because I speak Chinese, but like, you know, it may be harder for some people to understand that. Um, but th- that doesn't you, you got to kind of add that into your evaluation process, I think. Yep, good point. Which is actually particularly difficult because uh, a lot of, again, this is one of the few criteria you you have. So if your point is when you're looking at submissions to choose is, hey, I'm going to pick the best written submission, right? Well, what uh, is familiar to me and what is, uh, at least better writing or more thought put into it oftentimes looks the same, right? So somebody who speaks like me is oftentimes going to look the same as somebody who uh, is either a native speaker, right? If you're a non-native speaker, you have a hard time writing a great presentation uh, uh, abstract, obviously, right? And so that doesn't mean that you're not going to give a great talk if you're a non-native speaker. You can give a fan- they can be a fantastic presenter and give a fantastic talk being a non-native speaker, but they might uh, mess up some of the grammar on the submission. So you look and you think, oh, well, this person put more time and effort because they put their punctuation in the right place and they got all the grammar right. But the reality may not be what's going on behind that. And so the two, it's not just about speech patterns. It's about the fact that the speech patterns you're familiar with oftentimes look like a, just a better done presentation or submission. It, they, they, the two things... Uh, follow one and follow one another. They they mask it masquerades as that, and, and it, it just makes it particularly challenging when you want to pick speakers and you're picking from non. You want to pick choose from non-native speakers, or in this case, we're talking about English, obviously, non-English, non-native English speakers, but who still are very capable of giving fantastic presentations. Well, I'm looking at some of the titles of these talks here. Yeah, how about? Try not to lose your marbles with RxJS or singular angular elements, building VR interfaces with Angular, uh, the dark side of turning Angular performance. I'm telling you, as I read these, these are really good topics, and I can't, you couldn't tell, you know, to like look at the picture who's given it. And that's so we're going to have, you know, you're going to have some good talks here, and then we're going to find out who is actually the the voice and the face behind. This. I'm looking forward to state management with NRGRX, as you all know. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And that's my friend Simona going to give it. And so I'm going to have to give her a hard time. And you know what? That's going to be, you know, we're going to have fun doing that, right, with each other in a respectful way. But we're going to have a, a, a fun time mixing it up. Um, and that, you know, that's what a, a conference should be. Um, so, I, you know, I, this is this is a serious conference. This isn't, um, you know, we're just trotting out some figureheads to and they're not going to have anything to say. Right. Yep. Well, the other hard part is how do you give people who have never spoken at a conference before the opportunity to speak? Because those are the hardest ones to evaluate, right? Because they don't have anything online. Their abstract probably won't be the best written. Um, but at the same time, they have an incredibly valuable topic or an incredibly good story to share. I mean, how do you that? That's the other hard thing is how do you get those voices out there? You know what? We should help help those people with their talks. I, I, you know, as a first time speaker, that was tough. I blew the first of my first talks, you know, and I didn't have anybody to bounce it off against when I was first coming out because nobody knew me. Right. And now I can prepare by a I kind of know what I'm doing and B, I can I can I got plenty of people I can share it with. So maybe, Zach, what we should you know, and I don't know how much you've done it, but um uh, maybe it would be great to pair some of the first-time speakers with people, you know, in background who can sort of preview and, and coach some of the folks so that their their first or second time on the big stage they can approach with more confidence. Well, I want to jump in here as well because this is an interesting topic because now you're talking about an, another aspect of diversity, and that is people who haven't spoken before, right? So if you're considering that at one of the axes of, of diversity, I think I – I think I would challenge that as an aspect of diversity. Um, similar to the to thought of, hey, would you uh, look and say, hey, uh, if you're hiring for a position, would you hire the person who's never coded before thinking, hey, they they potentially are a good coder? Yes, you, you would. But if you're looking for a senior developer, you're probably not going to hire the person who's never coded before, right? So now we're talking, you just by natu naturally get better at the things you do. People who speak get better at speaking. So the more that somebody has spoken, the likelier that they are to write, to give a better talk. The more that somebody has written code, the likelier they are to write good code. So those two things follow one another. So now you have to worry about if you're going to put somebody up on stage who hasn't spoken ever before. And let me preface that by saying at NGConf, we've had first-time speakers. And, you know, we consider ourselves to be definitely one of the bigger stages that is uh, available in the tech world. And we put up first time speakers and we always feel like it's a very nerve wracking experience for us. We want people to uh, have taken time to work on this particular aspect, which is speaking. It's a craft. Uh, I've I've spent time specifically working on speaking. It is a craft and it is a learned skill. So we want people to do that. But we also like Zach is saying, sometimes there's people that have really important things to say, and then you have to balance that out against their experience being a speaker. So I'm not particularly of the opinion of, hey, you should weigh somebody who hasn't spoken the same as somebody who has spoken before or somebody who's no. given a serious number of talks. Totally, totally agree. But given that Zach has picked some people who, at least I, they're new to me, uh, I don't know what their experience is. Why not give those people a hand uh, so that they're, they're you know, uh, their their experience will be um, as as confident and as good as it can be. Right. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. So, like, I don't know if uh, 
if uh, Zach was able to do this as well, although I know that he reached out a lot to speakers, but like an ng.com, we make it very well known. We even put it on our CFP submission page that if you want help with your submission, the, the organizers are there to help you with your submission, that we will actually spend time working with you so that your submission looks as good as possible if you haven't some, don't have much experience in submitting. And then once uh, we are lucky that we actually have enough of a budget that once we do select speakers, we can offer them time with a speaking trainer as well. Um, so we have that luxury. Most conferences don't. I mean, trust me, I run smaller conferences and uh, having a budget to spend three or four or $5,000 on a speaker trainer for your speakers is just not a reality in the vast majority of cases. So I think actually well, we spend I'm like raising my hand. As a, I'm, I'm no pro at teaching anybody else how to talk. And there are people who probably wonder whether I know how to talk, but, I, but I'm raising my, I'm raising my hand to say that if uh, Zach, if there's anybody uh, that would, would, you know, think that they might get it, an ounce of help from anything that I might contribute. I'm, I'm available. Awesome. I, I, I'm sure I'll make sure I put that out there. Yeah. I was just going to point out that, uh, your opinions on star Wars make your judgment a little bit, uh, suspect, oh. but here, yeah. here, here, here. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, there may be no takers, but you know, um, that, that, uh, I'm off. Well, and I, I think that's important. Um, I've also seen the NG conf, um, organizers do q and a's like online to help people you know get ideas and submit and stuff that way so um you know i think it's important that way um one other thing that you know zach going back to one of the things that you pointed out was that you know you just went out and invited people to come speak and um when i did angular dev summit in september one of the things that um i had somebody point out that i had a lack of diversity on my speaking uh, panel and for the most part, I just really wanted great speakers. I hadn't really even thought about that, but you know, they were like, "Look, you don't have any, you know, or you don't have enough women on on your your speaking roster." And then they offered to help, and I found that that was also very helpful. Was just, oh, okay, well, you know, some great speakers who, you know, who you know help you or help the community at large. You know, have a larger diversity pool in their speaking pool. Awesome. And and Tracy Lee actually helped me line up a bunch of those speakers. And so, you know, I'm I also want to just point out to conference organizers that, you know, Zach, you went and did a lot of the legwork on your own and reached out to people you already knew, but you also went and found people on LinkedIn. But there are folks out there that if you reach out to them and say, Who else do you know? If this is something that's important to you, that will make it really, really easy for you. Yeah, Tracy's a good one for that too. She actually has a list on Twitter called Fempire which is, um, you know, female uh, speakers and female engineers. Hey, so I'd like to ask an interesting question based on what you're saying, uh, based on some personal experience here. Let's say that you happen to notice a conference that is has zero women speaking. Is that a time to jump out and call out that conference and say, hey, you know, you're doing something wrong, you guys have not... Uh, you, you you haven't done this right. There's something wrong with what you're doing. And um, I mean, I, I guess I'm talking a little bit about what we see oftentimes people that we call social justice warriors do, but uh, engage in that. Is that is that an appropriate time to do that? Well, I don't know how else you're going to move it unless unless somebody calls them on it. Well, and, and it was interesting because I don't know if you guys saw or not, but GitHub actually got hit by that pretty hard um, last year. 
um, they had a, I think it was the Electron Conference mm-hmm. that they had like 15, spe- I don't know how many speakers, but they had a, some amount of speakers and all of them were um, uh, of a very similar demographic. And the, there was a huge uh, community uprising from that. And I think they actually ended up canceling the conference um, because of the reaction of the community. Well, I, I also want to chime in because the the worst experiences I've seen conference organizers have with this is when they claim to be going out of their way to provide diversity and then fail to do so. And GitHub has been out there as a champion publicly for that particular cause. Um, and a few others that I've seen they put on their their front page, you know, we're a big diverse conference and then all their speakers are white dudes. And so, you know, if if you're if you're making those claims and then you're not backing them up, I I definitely see people, you know, coming out and saying, "Hey, you're saying one thing and doing another." Um one other thing though that I have seen, I've I I know several conference organizers and I know a few of them have, that have been terrified that this kind of thing would happen to them and they just really didn't know how to, you know, create more diversity in their conferences. And they either got called out or they walked around in fear of getting called out. And in reality, nobody offered to help them out and they just didn't know what to do. And so I kind of come at this from both ends. If you're going to go out there and claim to be a diverse conference, be a diverse conference. If If you want help, go try and find it. But if you're seeing a conference that is out there that looks like they're trying, they're not making major claims one way or the other, and you think they could do better, offer to help them first. So uh, I want to add in a little counterpoint here and put some uh, put a little context around uh, a scenario, right? So I was involved a couple of years ago with a conference that was a local regional conference. Okay, very it was just it was just centered around a very small um, area. The conference had essentially zero budget, right? It's it, if if anything, it was it was likely to break even. Everybody who did the or, who organized was always completely volunteering their time, and. Uh, that included me, of which when I said that I was organizing, I was I didn't actually show up or do anything. I just uh, said that I would help, but then I, I ended up not having any time to give. So it's a local regional conference, no budget to fly in speakers, thing like that, only pulling from local speakers. It ended up that when it was everything was all said and done, it didn't have any female speakers. That turns out uh, part of the problem was is that not a single female speaker submitted so there's a, a gazillion ways that we could have solved that issue. But each of those ways involved people spending time and or money that everybody was already having problems doing because, you know, it's a completely volunteer. Everybody who's involved is already full doing other things. Right. And we had we, we ended up they ended up getting some slack. And so finally, I I who had really not done anything because I didn't have time, ended up spending a few hours of my own time and reaching out to a few places and. Um, I ended up getting like one or two women to come and, and speak because, uh, you know, we had to address this issue. But in this case, we were addressing it as a simply a reaction for how we looked, right? That people were frustrated with how it looked, uh, and it was a it was a sort of a reaction. Now, um, regardless of whether the conference was made better or worse, I would argue that it was because I managed to find a couple of really good. I think I found two uh, speakers that were women that were good speakers, but uh in that situation was uh is that what is that the right thing that for people to do for somebody to for people to 
jump in and say, hey, you know, even though you're li- you're coming from a state that is 98% white and you're at your local regional conference in a state that's 98% white and you didn't have a single female that submitted, what, should should we have either decided, hey, we can't even run a conference if we can't spend the time and energy because it does take work, right? As a uh, from the conferences that I actually spend time organizing that I care that I really involve myself in in order to keep the diversity up. I spend time, we spend time, we spend hours and hours and hours on this issue, working to find more diverse attendees, working to find more diverse speakers. It takes time and money. So should you, when considering running a local conference, is having diversity one of those must-have lines? If you can't find the time and energy to put diversity in, should you just say, then we shouldn't do the conference? Well, I, I, I mean... As as someone else is organizing too, I, I it, it's it's an incredible time sink to organize a conference, as you said, right? You know, a vast majority of the time that we've been doing NG Atlanta has been um, about ninety percent just me working on it in my nights, you know, on weekends. Which, if you think about where NG Atlanta is right now, I mean, that's a that's a ton of work. But I think you'll find, at least in, in Atlanta. Um, and actually GitHub was one of our first sponsors, um, interesting enough, and they, they sponsored diversity tickets. Um, I think if you are intentional with what you are trying to do and vocal about what you're trying to do, organizations and, um, other people will align to help. Um, at least that was my experience. Your, your mileage may vary, but you know, when we, when I got out and I was vocal about what it is I was trying to do organizations i mean heck people are spending their own money to help sponsor the diversity tickets um you know that that to me says that the community wants this and they will they will help back it if you are vocal about it right but you didn't necessarily respond to my question which was if you don't know that you have that time and that energy should you even bother should you should you do a conference if you don't know in this case you know like I'm talking about, it, it was really just a bunch of thoughtless people uh, who didn't didn't spend a, it, it never became a priority when they organized the conference, right? And so uh, nobody was thinking about it from that standpoint, from the standpoint of diversity, and uh, didn't didn't put in the time and effort. Once somebody started putting in time and effort, it became uh, a very solvable problem. But uh, are we at the place where we should? basically say hey uh, conferences should require that should be a baseline for conferences they should have a diverse lineup that sure is my instinct in the same way that it's kind of a baseline to have a code of conduct i mean when i was talking about uh-huh. they codes they didn't have codes of conduct before but right. now if you don't ha- you don't have one it's like that's an irresponsible conference and so so you know not to pillory somebody for what they did in the past but going forward if you're starting a conference today and you're not paying attention to this then you're not putting together a responsible um conference and maybe you shouldn't be doing that kind of thing see this, uh, i think that's, well, that's wills i i disagree I gonna... but go ahead I, i'd argue that the t- amount of time involved is is simple granted i'm first time conference organizer but like I would argue that the time involved, if you have a Twitter account, is relatively similar than if you were not trying to do it, because there's there's enough resources on Twitter, uh, in the Twitterverse. You know, granted, you know, I assumed I would have budget, um, and, and just lived as if, right? 
and and that helped to get to where we are. But if you if you know you will never have any hopes of having a budget, um, you know maybe that's better suited to be a meetup than a, a conference or something. I, I I think that we should be intentional and try to improve the the circumstances we're in rather than um, just breaking windows and and keep moving along. I think I'm with Ward on this, that this should, this really should, it's like a code of conduct that I think it's a, could be a, you could say that this is a baseline in the case of, you know, my experience, it was people that would be no different than if they had. And to be honest, the year, the year previous, we didn't have a code of conduct, <laughs> but when you get, when you get a conference that's organized by 10 or 15 different people and every organization meeting is a different subset of four of them. You know, having 55 things slip through the cracks is a, you know, I could ex I could explain away what happened, but I would definitely say that what actually happened was wrong. You know, have, not having a code of conduct the year before, that was wrong. Not having a diverse lineup of speakers that that second year, I think that we made a mistake, and that uh, if I had been willing to put my name on it, I should have taken those things as baselines. And that if I wasn't willing to put in the time to make sure that those things got done, I shouldn't have put attached my name to it. So I, I just want to chime in here. I mean, uh, for one thing, if speaking of codes of conduct, um, my tune has changed a little bit on that. I used to think that they were complete garbage, but um, I, I've come to realize that you don't need a code of conduct until you need one. In other words, you know, if you tell people what kind of behavior is expected, then when you enforce it, it's not a surprise for anybody. So you really should have one. Um, as far as the, you know, whether or not you should not have a conference if you can't meet these criteria, again, I mean, you know, I, I think there are a few things that are going on. One is, is that um, I, and I think most of you on the call are well enough connected to where, yeah, going to Twitter and doing a little bit of legwork um, isn't going to take that much more time to find people. But I also know that some of the local conference organizers are not that well connected. And conferences are such a net positive for any community that they're in that I, I really, really hesitate to say if you can't meet diversity standards, then you shouldn't have a con conference because so many people are going to miss out on that opportunity. And you're also going to set a baseline of being able to connect with people the next year based on that conference to where you probably can do better the next year. And so I, 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 I just I can't quite get to the point where it's like, Yep, scrap it, you know, turn it all in, you know, give up if you if you can't meet diversity standards. However, I well, also want uh, here's, here's why this I just want okay. to caveat this. I don't want this to be an excuse for anybody not to try. Look, I wouldn't hold a conference in a fire trap. I wouldn't hold a conference uh that was unsafe. I wouldn't hold a conference. I mean, there's all kinds of criteria. Right. Hey, in right? a fire truck, that sounds like an interesting challenge. I think he said <laughs> a fire, fire trap. trap. Fire, oh, fire trap. trap. Oh, uh, I was thinking <laughs> fire truck. That actually sounds kind of cool. No, you know, I mean, I mean, like we have other criteria. We wouldn't dream of having a conference that, uh, you know, where we didn't think about how people were uh, supposed to, yeah, where they were going to come from or where they were going to stay or what the food was going to be. Well, if we're caring about the might, food might, and we're not caring not about who's there. Then, you might not then, care about food. I've been in conferences where we didn't do anything about food. That was up to yeah. the attendees because it was either cheap or free or yeah, whatever. You had to think stayed, about it. But you do think about how safe they are. Yeah. You had to think about it. You had to decide whether you were going to have food or not. Right? And you made a decision. If people were going to come from somewhere, you had to figure out whether you were going to put them up or not. 
you had to think you, you have you have to think about these things now and when you when you suddenly wake up in this day and age if you're not saying all right so who's showing up is are the people who are going to attend going to feel like this is a wonderful place for them to be and that they're going to have a great experience if you're not thinking about those things then you're then you're not a responsible uh, conference organizer now maybe you're having a meetup or a meeting or you know some where the bar is lower or somehow and you can just throw anything together but but if it's a conference and you're asking people to attend them then i think we have standards today that include uh, a significant effort to make sure that both attendees and speakers um, uh, represent different backgrounds. I don't know. That's where I'm coming from. I mean, it's not, you know, it's kind of where we are. It's not where I would have necessarily said in 2007 or 1997 or, you know, 1987 or something like that. But I'm, we live in this world today and there are, and there are standards and it, and to me, it should, you know, it's kind of like making sure that it's not a fire trap. Yeah, that's me. Well, let me say that I've never been a fan of people who try to make the world better by tearing down everything that they don't like about us. Yeah. I've never been a fan of that. I've been a victim of that, certainly, before. But um, I think that in the situation where you find, hey, there's a conference that's maybe not meeting that, that tearing it down may not be the best idea. Although, the like uh, you were saying, Ward, that might I've be seen that considered your response. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in fact, uh, there was a great example of a conference called Lambda Conference which was torn down because of their decision to include diversity. Uh, but, uh, you know, that for each of us and for a lot of people, it actually is a small amount to just say, hey, I'll help, I'll help you fix an issue that right, I see. Right, right, right. Agree. If you can get there in front and if they got to the end and they actually printed tickets and they've got it all closed up and they haven't thought about it, then, I, you know, I got other conferences to go to. Well, and that's totally fair too, right? If it doesn't line up with the kind of experience you want to have, or you feel like they're not making the inroads for the changes you want to see in the community, I think it's totally fair to not go. Yeah. And I think we've totally talked over our guests. I don't know if they got a word in edgewise. Do either of you want to add anything? <laughs> um. Well, I will say that um, I definitely think that it's something that should be paid attention to in the beginning um, and not as an afterthought, which I think everybody agrees on. Um, but even for like local conferences, I don't necessarily think that uh, I don't agree. If you're running a small local conference and you don't have a budget that you should not do it at all. If you, if, if it does end up being an afterthought, um, if you can put in the effort at the end. Um, and then also I feel like there, Everybody knows somebody and the opportunities that are given, especially like at NGCOP, for example, um, to help people, even if you, you know, don't have $5,000 to spend on a speaker trainer, um, people, the organizers or other speakers can offer to help out new people. Um, everybody knows somebody who has something to contribute. Mm -hmm. And for example, I was asked recently, actually, if I wanted to come to um, a local conference and speak um, about Angular um, unfortunately, I couldn't do the scheduling conflicts, but um, it, like a coworker reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to talk. And everybody sort of has a coworker or somebody that they know who is passionate about your topic or a related topic and can come and talk. Um, and I, I will just say, like offering any kind of help, like I'm pretty new to the whole speaking experience myself. Um, just today, Frosty. Uh, helps me with my CFP for NGCOF. And I, I just think that 
it's awesome that, that people are willing to sort of go to those lengths to welcome new speakers, which is, you know, a big thing if you're trying to increase diversity. A lot of, uh, as has been mentioned, you know, many times you, you have a sort of whole plethora of white men who can speak and have spoken before and speak at meetups and stuff. And then, and then you have sort of the minority who um, might be intimidated to start speaking because because they're in a minority. Maybe they'll get up and speak in front of a bunch of people that don't, you know, look like them. And so just having that sort of help to get over the barrier of I'm a little bit intimidated um, is is really awesome, even if it just comes from individuals rather than, you know, if you don't have the means to, to hire professionals to, to help people out. Yep. Well put. All right. Well, we've been talking for about an hour and a half. Um, <laughs> so I'm curious, is there anything else that we should highlight or talk about? Um, Zach, do you still have tickets for NG Atlanta? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, we still have space. There's still a little room left in the hotel. Uh, the hotel's filling up quick, though. Uh, it's only 330 rooms in the hotel, so we're hoping to sell that out. It, it is going to be in January, but the pool is heated 365 days a year, so that's going to be fun. Nice. Um, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, so we know that Kim and Ward and I are going. Joe, are, are you going to be there? I'm not. I okay. won't be there. Too many too many Angular conferences to attend. I, I also canceled uh, NG Vikings, which really disappointed me but i had to cancel ng vikings as well gotcha i was really excited to go up to finland but no cool well um i'm also just going to highlight one quick thing with ng atlanta that i'm doing um so i'm not going as a speaker um i'm mostly going as an attendee but uh, one of the things that i have done at past conferences for microsoft in fact this is where i got the idea is um the guys at dotnet rocks um, invited a whole bunch of podcasters out to Microsoft events. And that's why on JavaScript Jabber, you get the periodic rash of three or four Microsoft-related uh, topics or Microsoft people talking about topics um, on the shows. And I thought, well, dang, you know, this would be really cool to do for some of the other communities that we have shows for. And so I reached out to Zach. Um, I reached out to some of our sponsors, and we have Progress or Kendo UI sponsoring my trip and I'm going to come down and I'm going to be interviewing several of the speakers, attendees, et cetera, and just kind of painting a picture of what it's like to be there, as well as just creating content for, uh, with people who are doing Angular and speaking about Angular and, uh, you know, sharing their experience about Angular. And so uh, I should have a handful of videos, um, you know, that are interviews and other things that we will be putting up uh, from NG Atlanta. So, um, it, and I'm also going to pull together a meetup probably one of those nights. So even if you're not in Atlanta, but you want to just come and hang out and talk code or life or whatever, um, that'd be great too. But, uh, yeah. And if there are particular speakers that you're like, Hey, interview that person, uh, let me know who they are. And then I will work with, uh, Zach and reach out to the speakers and see if we can line those up. But yeah, let's go ahead and do some picks. Are you ready to master Angular? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp a three-day intense workshop class for individuals or teams. They cover Angular 4 and 2 and focus on the skills and knowledge you need for complex, data-rich applications. They also still offer AngularJS for teams supporting older projects. Bring them to your site or send developers to them in St. Louis, San Francisco, New York, D.C., and other cities and online at angularbootcamp.com. I didn't mean to plug my thingy at the end, but there we go. Um, 
Joe, do you want to start us off with picks? Sure. Uh, just want to do basically choose one thing, pick one thing, uh, which was the movie uh, Murder on the Orient Express. I went and saw it for the second time this week, and it was such a great movie. Took my uh, dad to go see it. So such a great movie. It was even better the second time than the first time. I mean, it doesn't even begin to compare with how epic Star Wars was. <laughs> Ward would, you know, he'll he'll definitely agree with me and Phil that later. Uh, uh, and of well, course, plus, uh, a plus, you know, thumbs up for uh, Orient Express. That was really good. Yeah. Good fun. There you go. That's my pick. Awesome, Ward. What are your picks? <laughs> As I said earlier. I, I watched The Last Jedi. It really is it The Last Jedi. I mean, how many have they got the last of? I can't keep track of the titles on Monday night. Anyway, Monday night was like one of the longest two weeks of my life. It's so boring um, and predictable. So I'm not. That's my anti pick. My pick is. <laughs> <laughs> I just got um, a book I've been waiting for for the last year. It's. Uh, a translation of the Odyssey uh, by Emily Wilson, and I've got a, a thing in the uh, you know a link to the show because the the thing that that um, people are talking about is it's the first time uh, that a woman has translated Homer into English, and yay! Um, but what I really like in it because I've been following it for over the last year is I like what she writes. She's really a great writer and this is a very different translation than the ones i've been reading uh and i'm kind of i've read a few translations of uh homer uh over the years because i don't read greek and um she has done a really great job of making it poetic and accessible at the same time and i'm i'm just cracking into it but it's every bit as great as i hoped it would be so Emily Watson's uh, translation of the Odyssey. Nice. Wilson, not Watson, Wilson, Emily Wilson. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to jump in here. I have to bring the net uh, count back to one for Star Wars. So I went and saw it this morning. Um, there were a few things in it that I was like, wait, can you do that? But it was a good movie. Um, it, it rates somewhere between the prequels, which were terrible, and the originals, which have a lot of nostalgic value for me. Um, and that's all I'm going to say, because if anybody spoiled it for me before I went, I would have been mad. Um, I'm also going to quickly mention um, I'm putting together Indiegogo's. As this goes out, they'll be out. So just uh, come check out the show notes for the links. Indiegogo's for three new podcasts on devchat.tv. One's on React. Uh, one's on View. And uh, that one, Joe and I are kind of working together on that one. And I've also got some other people that have reached out about that one. And then uh, one on Elixir. So if you're interested in functional programming, Elixir kind of stuff, um, we're doing that. And then, um, yeah, uh, I guess that's all I have for picks. Zach, what are your picks? Um, so I got two. Uh, one's a uh, organization called Vets Who Code. Um, it's an organization for uh, retraining veterans as they come back from service. Uh, fantastic organization. They're actually helping with our free veterans workshop at NG Atlanta. Uh, and the second one is actually some a movie that hasn't come out yet, uh, but it's a Netflix original, and that's Bright, uh, the new uh, Will Smith movie that's on uh, a Netflix exclusive coming out in two days. Awesome. Now, Jerome from Vets Who Code, he's the CEO. 
Um, he did yep. shows on both Ruby Rogues and JavaScript Jabber. So if you want to know more about the organization, go there. And then Jerome was a regular on Ruby Rogues for a while. So if you want to just kind of get to know who he is, you can go find some of those episodes. And and finally, the best for last, Kim, do you have some things you want to shout out about? Um, Sure. I These can be anything, right? They don't have to be super recent. <laughs> yeah, we kind of blindsided you with it. But yeah, anything. TV <laughs> shows, tech tools, whatever. Um, well, I will sort of follow suit with Zach, and I'm going to mention NG Girls um, because I had the honor of mentoring an NG Girls workshop at Angular Connect this year, and that was actually my first time um, sort of having direct contact with them, and I thought that they did an amazing job. They offer free workshop um, for women who are interested in Angular. You don't have to be like super experienced developer. Um, there's going to be a one of these workshops at NG Atlanta too, um, which I'm also going to mentor. Um, and that's, that's super exciting to me. I was looking at starting a, um, a workshop for NG girls locally. Uh, but a lot of things have been getting in the way recently. Um, and then I guess the other thing was I've been watching a lot of deep space nine <laughs> lately, and I've found a lot of, <laughs> a lot of the episodes are remarkably relevant in, in the current, sort of social landscape and and i've just been really enjoying that so to sort of oh. get off the star wars into the star trek i guess hey, i need to go. find some way to get a speaker gift tied to that <laughs> <laughs> nice well uh one last thing that i generally like to ask um and kim we'll start with you if people want to follow you on twitter github maybe have a blog somewhere or just see what you're working on in general where do they go Yep. Um, on Twitter, I'm Kim Maida, K-M-M-A-I-D-A, and um, I'm the technical content lead for Auth0, so I actually um, lead all of the technical content for Auth0's blog. Uh, you can find a lot of my articles there, and then um, I oversee the team of technical writers who write for us, write uh, coding tutorial, tutorials on a variety of tech stacks, and that's just auth0.com slash blog. A kindred spirit. Because that's what I was doing for Google, so for Angular. Awesome. And Zach, what about you? Yeah, um, I'm Z Chapel on Twitter, and then uh, if you email info at ngatl.org, I'm usually the one that replies to that. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Thank you both for coming and sharing your insight with us. We will catch everybody next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.